We bought a large parcel of commercial land in 2005, and we sold it for a very large profit right before the market topped. Are you ready for the best real estate investing advice ever? Join Joe Fairless and today's best ever guests as they share it with you. It's the best ever advice with none of the fluff. Let's go. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the U.S. Our simple, proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Get your free copy of the ultimate guide to out-of-state real estate investing at noradarealestate.com slash guide. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com slash guide. Do you know how you can benefit from crowdfunding? If you haven't checked out our special series, Best Crowdfunding Crash Course Ever, presented by Patch of Land, then you need to. It's episodes 152, 159, 166, and 173, because you'll hear from the industry's leading crowdfunding experts on how you can benefit by getting involved, whether it's getting access to funds for your deal or passively investing in other people's deals. The time is now to get started. Go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever to grab your copy of the top 10 answers to the top 10 crowdfunding questions. That's P-A-T-C-H-O-F-L-E-N-D.com forward slash best ever. Hi, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless and I'm here with today's guest, Gary Linhart. Hi, Gary. Hi, how you doing? Doing well, and thank you for joining us. Gary is joining us from Phoenix, Arizona, sunny Phoenix, Arizona, I'm imagining, where he is the managing director of BioWest, where he he has a couple of responsibilities. One, he co-manages the investment strategy and finance activity, and then he also leads the public markets activity for the company. He's managed, his previous role, he managed the company's multifamily portfolio and oversaw the acquisition, conversion, and disposition of over 2,000 apartment units to condominiums, which is pretty darn interesting. Would love to talk to you about that in a little bit. And interestingly about him, that's non-real estate related, but well, on the surface it's not, but I imagine you integrated a lot in, in your business is that Gary's fluent in Japanese and in Spanish and proficient in Spanish. So konnichiwa and hola to you, Gary. <laughs> konnichiwa. So with that being said, Gary, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure. Grew up actually in Winnipeg, Canada, and I grew up in the real estate business. My father was a developer, developed a lot of downtown Winnipeg uh, office buildings, and uh, I was always very interested in demographics and buildings. I think I was a bit of a nerd in uh, middle school. I probably knew all the skyscrapers in North America and all the hotels over 500 rooms. I knew all the stadium and arena capacities. I've always just been really interested in how people and buildings come together. But in, in, in my career, I spent the first eight or nine years of my career away from the business, just getting a little more diversity of experience, but did find my heart in the business and came back uh, after living in Tokyo and New York and Philadelphia and Texas, made my way back to Phoenix in 2002, was on my own for a year or so buying apartments. But I really realized I wasn't a lone wolf. I needed a partner. I'm a collaborator. And a bunch of people pointed me to my current partner, Stephen Schwartz, and we've been business partners since 2003. We've been involved in over $500 million of transactions since our inception. 
We're primarily focused on office and industrial currently, value-added opportunities, and we do some commercial land investment. We, we like the multifamily business a lot, but it's, uh, it's very hot right now. So we found more value-added opportunities recently on that office and industrial side. When you're looking at you know, office, industrial, some land, multifamily, how do you become an expert in each of those? Because I've heard from some people that you know, we should stay focused in one area, do that very well, and then just change our approach for how we acquire that particular type of asset. And then you know, other people who are having success like you focus on different ones depending on you know, what the opportunities they see. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think when there's a lot of distress in the market, such as 2009, 2010, the real value add is having capital. And I think in those times, you can be very diverse in the kinds of opportunities you look at because there's so much distress and so much value in the market that operational expertise at that particular point in time isn't as important. I think in today's market, as we move more into a stabilized market, And you really have to have expertise in both operating assets and in finding the value either on off-market deals or on-market deals. We're finding that that expertise is more important. And that's one of the reasons why we've said we don't have the infrastructure to be as focused on multifamily. And our staff has sort of evolved to a point where we really do have a lot of expertise and talent in our company to be more focused on office industrial and we see more value added opportunities there, we've naturally gravitated more towards a focus. So I think there's a lot of truth in what you're saying, but that ebbs and flows depending on where we are in the market cycle. What about office and industrials is interesting to you and your group? Office for us, and once again, we're mostly focused in the Southwest and on the office side, really focused on Phoenix. The interesting thing about office is I like to say multifamily market, it flows like water and office is more like ice cubes in that it's very clunky and it's very expensive to fill up an office building if it if it gets vacant. Whereas multifamily, you do a little bit here and there and very inexpensively and you can lower your rents. And if you're in a good location, the demand will come. Whereas you have to be so many things have to be right. And then it's very expensive to fill up an office building. So it's much more complicated uh, on the office side. What that does, though, if you have the expertise and you're able to uh, to get in to buying an office building, there's a lot of upside. And, and the, the challenge owning an office building is if you're the guy who bought it at the top of the market, your basis is very high. It's very difficult for you to put new money into that existing investment. So you can't kick the can down the road. You really have to get rid of it. So what that does is it does create opportunities for a, uh, on the distress side, even as you get into the middle of the market cycle where we are today. So even today, we're seeing office buildings that are 50% vacant or even more where there's an, there's an opportunity for someone new to come in and change the way the, the building looks and modernize it and then go to the market and attract new tenants where those opportunities are much fewer in today's market. So we like it from a value add expertise standpoint, there's still opportunities in the market. How do you determine where you're at in a certain market cycle? Well, we're real students of the business, uh, both from a top down 
uh, understanding population patterns, understanding employment patterns, understanding where tenants are going within a market, and then really from a bottom up, understanding the 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 vacancy and uh, understanding the individual assets and 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 what they bring to the market, and then from there we develop very deep broker relationships. Uh, we like to say we want to be the the first call and the last call when a broker has an opportunity. Uh, first call is someone comes to them and and says I got to get rid of this asset. Uh, go find a buyer or take it to the three most likely buyers. And the last call is someone else's deal fell out of escrow and their motivation changes, and we want to get the call in that situation. How do you become the first call and the last call? How do you have that type of relationship? And and I know why well, I don't know this for certain, but I imagine you know it's it's about spending time with someone and and having a quality relationship, being focused on relationships, not transactions. But what specifically? do you do and what specifically how do you approach those relationships well it takes a long time there's no there's no quick bake of the cake in terms of relationships you have to show that you respect the players in the market and what they bring to the table you have to uh, pay people their commissions and and so on but really you have to perform and over time you build a reputation really one step at a time there i can't overemphasize enough how important it is to do what you say you're going to do and follow through and be responsive and avoid surprises uh, in terms of retrading sellers right when you're uh, about to go uh, non-refundable on a deal. And it's really developing a reputation uh, over many years. I just don't think there's a shortcut to that. That's really, when you talk about reputation matters and relationship matters, it's, it's for finding those types of unique opportunities and you're only going to get brought those opportunities if people respect you because they're putting their own reputations on the line by vouching for you. Gary, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Boy, there's so many things. Uh, Let me break it down a little bit. I, I look at basically there's two sides to the business. There's the managing risk CYA side of the business and there's the making money side of the business. I think there's a lot of lessons on both and they're equally important, but the real magic and fun happens on the making money side of the business, particularly with deal sourcing. So I'll pick one from there. So here it is. When you are looking for deals, spend a lot of time and energy understanding people's incentives. There are inefficiencies there that create a fountain of opportunities. What do you mean by that? Well, many good opportunities come from identifying inefficiently priced assets and those opportunities can be found When you find someone in charge of selling an asset or a seller of an asset whose motivations aren't purely tied to getting the highest price, often people will read in the paper, for example, about a deal that got done and they'll say, wow, I would have done that deal if I had known about it. But the real story is likely much more complicated than that. It's more likely that the person who did the deal identified a situation where where there was someone at the decision-making table who wasn't really just looking for the, the, the highest price. And it took that buyer a lot of insight and maneuvering and navigating to really identify that situation. And I I think that if you begin to develop the, uh, call it the muscle, of of identifying and asking the question of of what's what's this person's motivation and and is there something other than price uh, in this person's motivation, you might be able to uncover a a unique opportunity that uh, isn't 
widely known or widely bid by people in the marketplace. Is there a question to ask other than what's your motivation for selling this property that would get you to that answer? Well, I think that it, it, it's difficult to get to that particular point because you can't just make phone calls like that. I think what you're looking for is situations that might lead you to someone's motivation uh, changed. I think, for example, if you look at the bottom of the market, when lenders have taken over properties, sometimes the lenders or they have the, may have the regulators who are in their office telling them they've got to change. The bank has the building now and they've got to They've got to lower their real estate exposure and they better do it by the end of the quarter. Well, there you've got a, you've got a seller whose motivation isn't purely price. It's, it's certainty of timing. It's certainty of close. And if they get a viable buyer who uh, is going to close and do what they say, they, they may be willing to give that buyer a discount to what they might get on a much more broadly marketed situation. So those kinds of opportunities always exist. Do you have a specific example that you've done with, you know, with your deals that you can kind of illustrate that point? Yes, we bought a 120,000 square foot suburban office building from a uh, international chip manufacturing company that it was a public company. They were based in Europe. They were a tenant in half the building. They were leasing half the building to a major bank. And their real estate department determined that the building wasn't right for them anymore, and they were ready to move on. And so basically, they took the building to market at a high price. It lingered on the market for about a year. And then uh, we call it hanging around the rim, or as uh, the Canadians uh, where I'm from would say, uh, hanging around the net. And basically, through our relationship with the broker, we kind of gave a much lower price but he vouched for us on our credibility of being able to to uh, close on the transaction. And they had a very bureaucratic process where the uh, person in the U.S. had to deal with people overseas and to get things done was very slow. So once they had a credible buyer, they weren't as uh, price sensitive. And so uh, we ended up probably took us a year to get that transaction done. And we spent a lot of money out of pocket before we even had the deal under contract. But we felt like it was that kind of situation, and it ended up being a very good deal for us. Before we get into the best ever lightning round, I'd like to ask, what is the number one lesson you learned when converting 2,000 apartments to condominiums? I, I think that we were doing that primarily on a consulting advisory basis for a national firm. And I think that the most interesting lesson we learned, and this was between 2005 and 2007, with that for sale market for multifamily product, the how much the financing availability drives that market and how quickly that market can turn south and go bad was eye-opening. And when we were in the midst of it, it was an incredible frenzy. And then to see how quickly the world turned sour on, on that market was, uh, was a true eye-opener and probably took a, I guess the experience takeaway is uh, it, it, would be, it would take a lot more for me to buy the hype in the future. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Yes. First, a quick word for our best ever sponsor crowdfunding. You've heard about it, and now it's time to learn about it. Our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land, is a leading expert in the crowdfunding space, and they've got all the answers to your crowdfunding questions. 
Go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and grab your copy of the top 10 answers to the top 10 crowdfunding questions. That's P-A-T-C-H-O-F-L-E-N-D.com forward slash best ever. Do you need an equity partner or do you know about a great deal and want to get paid for finding it? Masia Development is looking for retail and medical office deals nationwide in the 1 to 30 million range. With over 500 million of assets in their portfolio, Masia Development can help you make that retail or medical office deal happen. Email them at jv at masciadev.com. Okay, Gary, best ever book you read? My favorite book is The Fountainhead by Anne Rand. Great characters, great story, great message. And I, I remember it so vividly. Best ever listeners, I know you like audio, so you can go to freebesteverbook.com and get a free audio version of a book like that. Best ever personal growth experience and what you learned from it. Well, I was a horrible language student when I grew up, but I decided to study Japanese in college, and then I spent three and a half years there, and it really changed the way that I learn anything. How did it change the learning process? Everything I learn now, I learn in context. When I was a student in, in growing up, it was all textbooks and classrooms, but being able to go to a place and immerse yourself and then kind of understand and gather information in the context of that learning in a very organic way. When I take on any new venture now or look at a new market, that contextual learning really frames the way I learn. Best ever success habit you practice? No matter who you are or how entrepreneurial you are or how independent you see yourself, you can't be successful without having advocates for your success. And I think the earlier that people can seek advocates for their success, uh, people that they look at as mentors or so on, and be very humble in your approach and be very gracious and thankful for anything that anyone does to ever help you kind of move along or move forward is is really important and and it took me maybe too long to figure that out but but since i've been focused on it it's really helped propel me best ever deal you've done we bought a large parcel of commercial land in goodyear arizona in 2005 and we sold it for a a very large profit in january 2007 right before the market topped our partners were very happy Uh, we dodged a bullet and uh, it really propelled us to a new level. So on a lot of fronts, uh, it was uh, it was great for us and it was a great deal. And 100% of that was all skilled. There was no luck involved in that at all, correct? There was lots of luck involved in that. <laughs> and we actually did some things in that deal that we got lucky on that in retrospect were not very smart that we wouldn't do again. And we're fortunate to always look at the what what did or could have gone wrong and and uh, we, we even made some mistakes even though it worked out perfectly what'd you do that you wouldn't do again we put a loan or we got leverage on vacant land and we would never do that again uh, we believe that that any any financing you obtain or loan you obtain should be matched with cash flow and so leveraging a non-income producing piece of real estate is some people do it successfully, but it's something that we would not do again. Best ever project you're most excited about right now? I don't know if I can, I don't want to jinx uh, <laughs> any deals we haven't done. That project I mentioned earlier with that building that we bought from a, uh, a chip manufacturer, we're actually still in the midst of that deal. And what's fun about that deal is that every element of what we do is going to be in that deal from buying an off market deal to coming up with creative solutions with tenants 
to reintroducing a building to the market or doing a major multi-million dollar renovation to that project, basically taking a drab old 80 style office building and it's going to be a, a modern creative space, perfect corporate use type uh, building going forward and we've used video to market the building and, and simulated digitized walkthroughs of the space. We had 85 office leasing brokers from our, our market come to a really creative brokerage event. It just encompasses everything that we do to add value to a project in one uh, asset. Best ever way you like to give back? I'm, I made a lot of mistakes early in my career with career decisions and, and really realized how much that impacted the trajectory of my career. I really now, um, to kind of get that monkey off my back, I like to engage with young people in their careers and help mentor them uh, as they kind of face these uh, major decisions in their career, either academic decisions or career decisions, and really stay available to them throughout their careers as, as they navigate their own uh, success stories. And, and I see myself getting deeper and deeper into that give back. I just, I, I get a lot out of it. I learn a lot from them. And uh, it, it just is something that gives me a lot of, uh, a lot of joy and fulfillment. Best ever quote. Well, being a Canadian uh, at birth, although I'm a U.S. citizen now, I'm a big fan of, of hockey great Wayne Gretzky's quotes. Uh, he had amazing insights into the way things work. And one on seizing opportunity, his, his most famous quote is, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And I, I think that uh, is very applicable to so many things in business and in life. And that you, have, you get presented with these opportunities you have to have the, the, the right mindset to go after him, but you, at the end of the day, you have to, you have to take a shot at, at those opportunities, and, and I, I love that quote. What would you say is the biggest mistake you've made in real estate? Looking at a, a, maybe a property that someone bought across the street at a much higher price and, and basing our analysis of a deal on the price that someone paid for another asset and then realizing that the location might not have been good, it was the bad submarket, there wasn't good demand and, and realizing that the whole area was a mistake or shouldn't have been invested in. And we call that the fallacy of relative value. Just because someone else paid more for something doesn't mean that you can buy something next door cheaper and think you got a good deal. You've got to evaluate a property investment on its own merits. You can take into context what other people paid and even in an appraiser appraisal process, comps, sales comps is one of the three prongs of that approach, but you have to take it in context of whether or not the asset you're buying is a good investment. What's the best ever place to reach you? Well, I check my emails very frequently. So if someone or uh, someone wanted to get my contact information from our website, it's at www.biowestgroup.com. Gary, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your best ever advice with the best ever listeners and talking about your company talking about how you and your partner have built it from the ground up since 2003 and what your focus is now on office and industrial, why that's your focus, talking about how office is more complicated, but there is less competition. There's a lot of upside. And from a relationship standpoint and having those deep relationships with brokers, as you mentioned, you know, there's no quick fix. You must perform over time and build your reputation one step at a time. 
And I love how you mentioned that you want to be the first call and the last call for an opportunity. That's something that I'm I'm definitely going to personally keep in mind because I think that's a, a great saying and, and a great approach. And you know, with your business and the condo conversions, you know, seeing how quickly things can turn on on a dime and then the success that you've had knowing both the managing risk aspect and then making money aspect of real estate and seeing really what the true motivation is behind the seller and and what they're really looking for even if quite frankly they can't articulate it you know it's really digging in and seeing what their motivations are and presenting a, a solution to whatever you know whatever their problems or challenges are so thank you so much for being on the show and we'll talk to you soon Thank you for having me. Hey, you, best ever listener. Do you want more? Then go to joefairless.com, where you'll get tons of free videos, templates, and content to help you get deals done. And remember to subscribe to the best ever show in iTunes so you can keep getting your daily dose of the best real estate investing advice ever.